corn butter Faced with hard luck Faced, 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 faced with hard luck Card shots, Steve Smurdy was with hard luck Pimps and card shots, Steve Smurdy was with hard luck Corn butter Faced with hard luck Faced, 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 faced with hard luck Card shots, Steve Smurdy was with hard luck Pimps and card shots, Steve Smurdy was with hard luck Good afternoon and welcome to the Hard Luck Show. I'm your certified, qualified West Side host, Steve Lucky Luciano. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the greatest show on earth. It's the Hard Luck Show. Coming from the bunker today, sitting across from me, my partner and co-host, is Chumahan Bowen, American Indian, Southern Californian, elegant barbarian, and I am still savage in the virus bunk. Sunrise, get rid of us. My pain drives. The blood falls from the red sky. My lady singing that war cry. We'll break them up like mannequins. Look yeah. in the eyes, they panicking. Draped yeah. up in a bear hide. We ain't Indians, yeah. we savages. Don't believe me, check my status. Yeah. This battlefield is my canvas. Yeah. And it might not take us platinum, but that hand drum is my anthem. We go bang, bang. On the 808, you know we coming when you feel the bass. No deal with yeah, the devil, no fucking yeah. Listen, let me tell you something. All you uh, homeboys, hustlers, earbuds, misses or misses and all that stuff, quit IMing me and texting me what song that is. I'm going to tell you right now. You're driving me up a wall. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I'm a fucking, I got a job too. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I got a job, a kid, and a wife. And a wife yeah. who I got a fucking, you know. I got a law firm and lots of partners. I got a arm wrestle, uh, an octopus, okay, if you understand what I'm saying. So I'm going to tell you right now. Stop hitting me. Do, do What's the name of the song? All right, thank you. Savages. It's called Savages, right? That's the reason why we go, let's get savage right away. Mm. Savages, and it's by Snotty Nose Res Kids. And if you don't know what a res is, that's a reservation. Now you know. Stop hitting me up. Just stop it. And on <laughs> Sound Engineering today, old blue eyes. Whoa. Coming after that, Sean Lewis, certified audio professional engineer for the hard luck. Shush, shush, shush. Oh, Show. Yeah. Take the sword. Yeah. Yeah. That's that popping log. Yeah. Let's hear it. Jesus Christ, we love you, God. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. We love you, God. Jesus Christ. We love you, God. Jesus Christ! Man! Love you, God! You know what? I love that. Let's hit, it. Let's hit it up one more time. I love it. Oh, the devil! Put on salvation as your helmet! And salvation as your helmet! Of the spirit! Which What's is the word of God! Jesus Christ! So put on! Um. Huh. For arm of God! <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh. We love you, God! So we do it for God! Man, the first time I saw this dude, he's yeah. reading out of the Bible. Yeah, he, and he's and like, he's like going into it, and he's getting a little deeper and deeper. And I'm like, oh, interesting. And then all of a sudden, he puts the Bible down, right, and starts like pop locking and breaking, dog. And I right. was just like, and he starts with that. Jesus, the shield, the sword, the blood, the love of God. 
I was like, damn, this motherfucker, I'm one right here. Yeah, well, dude, sometimes when the Cholos catch Jesus, they get serious, man. You know what I mean? And the thing is, is he's got he's got a red shirt, right? And it's got white Jesus across the top. And then when it, the first thing you look at the dude. It's, I don't know what kind of room he's in, but it's got like fake wood paneling behind yeah, him, yeah, some yeah. stools and like basic like generic like apartment comfort, uh, carpet. Yeah. And then like he's wearing his timber, it looks like Timberlands <laughs> and some like baggy jeans, you know, stonewashed baggy jeans. And yeah. You're you right, dude. whole look going on. He like there. comes in and then. The whole thing going on over there. But before you know it, dude, so he goes from like modest beginnings, right? Yeah. Then you go to the next one, right? And now he's on stage, right? Now he's on like a. Because we love you, God. Here he goes on a big stage. He's got giant Bible. Put our salvation. And he's got like the like the preacher headphones. So put on. Here he goes. The food. Oh my God. And dude, you got to see this because now he's at one of these mega churches. Yeah. Right, sagging. Same exact outfit yeah. at a mega church, except <laughs> this time there's a white pastor that looks like a Kenny Loggins mm-hmm. or Kenny Rogers mm-hmm. who like obviously just wants to catch some internet f- fame or something yeah. like that. And he puts them on. Now this guy's performing at like mega churches in Texas for yeah. Kenny Rogers. Yeah. I don't I, <laughs> Yeah. I wonder if he was able to turn that into any money. I would imagine something because the guy's getting a whole bunch of views. But uh, I don't know. He probably had. What do you really think? I see your face. What are you really thinking, bro? Well, I don't know about that. Guy's a little sus to me. But you know, <laughs> hey, listen. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? I see your listen, face, man. I don't know. I mean, listen. Like, we don't know. We don't know. We him. don't know. Okay, so theoretically, but I mean, what do you mean? Like, do you think he's running a con? No, I don't want. I can't say that, man. Listen, I'm gonna be real careful yeah. the way I talk. When Jesus Christ's name's involved in Are you thing. serious? Yeah, man. I'm not trying to like, I don't know what that dude's uh, spiritual relationship is. I'm not going to. Right. I don't know. I, I just think that the dude's kind of, uh, you know, I think it, that, that the sherm is still settling in his brain. So like, the <laughs> bubbles are still coming up. Oh, I don't know what he's talking about. But hey, man, you know, he's spreading the word Jesus Christ. and, and you, know, it, you know what? That, it says that in the Bible. It says that in the Bible, there's that passage, remember, when those Christians are walking, like, in Jerusalem or something, mm-hmm. and they're so happy and whacked out of their school mm-hmm. that the one, the, 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 the non-Christian guys see this, and the non-Christian guys are like, oh, you know, they come up to them and say, what's making you happy? Whatever, you know, whatever sherm you're on, right. you know, give Drunk us some of that. God, yeah. Right. And then the, the two happy dudes are like, man, we smoking that Jesus sherm. Yeah. That, that's gotten on our brain. Yeah. That's the worm inside our brain. <laughs> what I will say is Go I'm ahead. not getting down the guy too much. There's no. a lot of people doing a lot worse shit. He's not doing nothing wrong. But I'm not he's even. Got s- a, but he's just. Hey, he's, homeboy's got a Jesus Christ tattoo on his cheek. Yeah. It says Jesus he's Christ. He's committed. I give you that. He's committed. He's committed. Does he, he kind of look like he, Diablo he, a little he, bit? He, what's that? Doesn't he kind of look like Diablo a little bit? I don't think so. Whoa, dude. Uh, Diablo. I, no, oh. he doesn't look like. I'm looking at him right now. He looks now. more like Johnny. 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 
okay, like I, Johnny you, Bear. You know what? You don't know anything about me. Oh, maybe he <laughs> Remember does Johnny Z? He looks right. like Johnny. If Johnny dropped off maybe about 100 pounds, he yeah. looks like this guy kind of. Right. Yeah. Right. We, what happened? Did you ever hear back from Johnny oh, Z? Our old, our old people who don't know, we had an Instagram guy who uh, wanted to fight Sean, if I recall mm-hmm. correctly. He was ready to throw down on Sean because uh, Sean clipped his wings a little bit. Mm-hmm. He was like, Johnny, you fucked us, Johnny. Mm-hmm. You fucked us. <laughs> and then Johnny was like, well, hey, listen, I know I come off as a nice guy, but okay. And, and you know what I'm saying? But like, you know what? I've got dark parts of me too. And you haven't seen those yet. You know what I'm saying? And, and if, you, if, if Mr. and Mrs. Earbuds recall, he even said, and this might have, and I've heard a lot of things in my day, mm-hmm. but this might be the craziest, most Jasper bullshit I ever heard. Mm. He even said that he's no punk, right? He's from the street, and Johnny Z said mm-hmm. he wouldn't say quite that he could win a fight with Steve Luciano, but he did say- No, he say, definitely didn't say that. No, but he did say he would get some licks in on his way down. <laughs> And that you would walk away with some kind of wound. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. bro. You should, Sean, you should see. The only wound I'm going to walk away with is some fucking busted up nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe you might get some, some stains on your shoes. Yeah. That's about it. That's funny as fuck, bro. So, <laughs> you know, I was listening to the uh, Danny Marillo, the Thrilla Marillo. Thrilla Manila. And uh, there was a lot of good shit in that episode. We were only able to get half of it out. Somebody says in the comments to me, yeah. they're like, hey, and then Johnny, Danny starts crying. They go, when Danny started crying, <laughs> and then Lucky's the next thing, while Johnny's, why Danny's crying, Lucky's eating a burger, like or you know, something like that. Just, like, <laughs> no, he, kinda, he said, he said it was. Ah, uh, oh, shit! I wish I could pull it up, but he said, no, he said, yeah, he said. All I know is I hear Danny crying. Start crying. Start crying. And then I just hear like Steve like sucking on a rib. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. You know, somebody getting at me about me eating. There you go. There you go. Eating sounds, but there he is. But usually there's like some. I know that you guys listening hear me doing all the time. Right. What is that about? That's from not having good fucking, not having, you know, proper dental uh, visits and, you know, man, fucking. Oh, you know, I just like uh, they remove so many teeth in prison, bro. You get a cavity and they just pull that shit. So I don't know, man. I'm just always like cleaning my teeth, like sucking clean, you know. But what's weird is that I've done it for so long that my son does it and he has perfect teeth. But he's no shit. Yeah, like he like picked that up for me. But yeah, it's like cleaning your teeth and and then i'm it's one of those like guys now for you? It, it, it now it is now it's become like a habit but also the other thing is i have a real bad habit with like breaking off like a book of matches right and like cleaning my teeth i know cellophane or this is why we i need- do that shit man like and i remember like when i was a kid yeah my, my dad would eat a meal or something like that my dad would like lean back and, like he'd always grab like a little fucking match or something and you like do that <laughs> like, and i don't know how I started doing that shit too. I just, you know. If you notice, I uh, I was at Costco mm-hmm. 
And I got some fucking holy shit. The guy got high tech toothpicks for you, man. Toothpicks for me, and he put them right here at the station. Yeah, that's awesome, bro. Thank you very much. I'm gonna take a picture of these things and post them. You should. So for all you people. That are concerned with that and what I'm doing and that at the unappropriate times you're hearing plastic wrappers and me chewing and I, I get hungry and I just can't stop. I have to eat. I start getting dizzy and lightheaded and I need food. I need some, you know. But what I'm going to attempt to do starting today. What's the day today? Uh, it's 5-23-2020. So what show is this? Is this 80? Shit, bro. We're past 80 and I don't know. Oh, no, no, but 80 is about to come on on Monday. No, 81 is about 81. No, 80 comes no, on No, 80 Monday. was part one. Sean? No, 79 was part one. Sean? I think, let me look. Let me look. Yeah, look. Man, can't do everything, you know? I'll bet you right now. <laughs> Want to put a little money on it? Uh, I don't know. I feel like we did a we did. You don't a want seven. me to pull it up, do you? Yeah. Oh. Pull it you're all the way be, up, You're going to be feeling bad if I pull it up. Go ahead. I mean, okay. the first time I felt bad. Okay, all right. Shit, I'm a lawyer, bro. We get we feel bad all the time. 80. Dame Eight, oh, 80. shit. Yeah, I should have bet you. Should have bet me. I didn't want to take your money, homie. Okay, so let me You're ask you something. trying to pick your teeth. Here, here's, here's, here my, here's my confusion. You want to hear my confusion? Oh, I'll tell you what's the problem. What is it? Because originally when I sent the original copy, uh-huh. right, I sent the original copy one before Danny, for, and I don't know what happened. But I thought it was 80, so I sent 80. Sean, you sent that to uh, Alex the Fat, and then Sean uh, hipped me to the fact that, no, we skipped one somewhere. Oh, yeah, because you got 80 as the episode for the Indian. Right, and it's uh, the Indian 79. So we backed up one. It was my bad. I admit it. Shit, fuck. Because here's why I got confused. Go ahead. Because when we were recording... Danny? Yeah. Danny goes, well, I was born in 79. Right. Because you had said, we're on episode 79. Well, that was also because we were just rolling at that time with it. Oh. And when I said we're on episode 79, I meant the last one we, we lit oh, up. Oh, okay. And now I'm glad we got that uh, oh, okay. fucking settled. All right, all right. Fuck. Anyways, so we were listening to him. Great show. Part one. So uh, by the time you hear this, part two will have come on. Right, but I don't even remember where I was going. But the point is, your mom busted his head, his microphone. So yeah, that's I've been what you're there, hearing all this. I've been sitting there like trying to screw this fucking microphone back in as Steve's talking. Oh, so what I was gonna say was by eighty-one. When you listen to eighty-one episode eighty-one, people, I will have already put into effect no eating on the microphone. Oh, right. Yeah. You no know, more eating. I'm not even. If I'm not eating anything, I'm not going. I have no reason to do that because there's no food in my teeth. So from now on, I'm gonna look. That's me trying to screw the microphone back in. You hear that? Listen, you know what? From my perspective, to be honest with you, I actually feel like a couple of things are going on. Number one is uh, while I can understand that some people are like, "Oh, it's distracting." Like, for instance, even my wife, she'll be like. That's kind of undescribable. And mm-hmm. I told my wife, I said, listen, let me tell you something. Yeah, this is the hard. Steve Luciano. Not only about. Not, no. I'm like, listen, <laughs> this is the hard luck show, and it's a podcast. Mm. And you get real up close and personal with uh, 
the guests ourselves and everybody. You get a lot more behind the scenes than you would on some polished bullshit. Right. Absolutely. Now, if you want polished bullshit, yeah, you can go. Young and, Turks. <laughs> you can listen to that. Sean, come on, dude. What what other fucking podcasts are there? Give me the one that we hate. What's the true crime one uh, that's just terrible? The last the show on the left. One? Yeah, last show on the left. Listen, Let's okay. See. So the listeners get an understanding. And Steve, you haven't even heard it. So I want you to listen to this. This is the kind of podcast that, that when people are like, stop eating. Like, what are we on NBC, CBS, yeah, yeah, 1950? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ain't Walter Cronkite and I ain't fucking Ali Sheedy. This is yeah. some fucking bullshit here. Like, this is, listen. Let's see if we can get this. Ladies and gentlemen, okay, this is podcast the on the LPN left. This is show. what people Recording are trying to mimic radio or like newscasts with this shit. It's also like clearly Tom Hanks's son. Listen to this. Oh, you, we're talking Hanks, Hanks here. We're yeah. talking the big Hanks, <laughs> quarantine <laughs> Hanks. Oh, hell no. The, uh, the coronavirus uh, infected Hanks. Well, that would be fine. I didn't realize that Tom Hanks named his child Chet. See, guys like that never eat a rib. When a guy who's been in prison is crying over dead homies. To me, to me, mm. to me, that's actually more real because it just because you're eating doesn't mean you're not feeling for the guy. Right. One thing has nothing to do with the other. Dude, they have barbecues and fucking cookouts in the hood all day, every day. Yeah. Right. And there's a lot of shit talked at those ones and some of it's sad. Yes, absolutely. Right? And you know what? And I'm going to do you one better. It's so hypocritical. So hypocritical because people go to funerals all the time and there's a dude in the casket, then they eat. They eat before, they eat after. Part of the celebration is eating. You see these Irish pricks running around, drinking and eating at a funeral and calling it awake. Absolutely. All right. So now everyone's like, you know, a sound engineer or everyone is an uh, an editor of the news. Yeah, it's got to be all segregated. Right. What the hell? It ain't ever going to be this show. That's right. You know what? On those other ones, so part of me is like, you know what? Like, this is a new form of media. Mm-hmm. And they do this shit all the time with new medias, new forms. Like, for instance, originally, right, they tried to do uh, radio. They just were using radio not as its own medium. By the time you get to Howard Stern, which is no surprise to anybody that I, you know, I would say I look up to Howard Stern in his radio show. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about The Voice. I'm not talking about Project X or whatever the other shit he's on. I'm just saying the way he ran that show was pretty fucking good. Baba Booey. Right. So I'm influenced by him. And one of the things that I read in his book that caught my attention was One of the ways that he created his situation was that when he was riding into work with his dad and listening to the radio, Mm -hmm. it was super square, Mm -hmm. right? Like the radio was like, uh, welcome to 870 AM. Today we're going to be looking at the weather and this is the news and Mm da-da-da. There was no fuck-ups. There was no other sounds. There was no dead air. It wasn't real. There was no dead air. And he said there was like, because I think his dad was like a station manager. But in any event, at some point, this little fucking Howard Stern prick guy mm-hmm. with his dad in the car, at some point, life intervened and the person who was running the show made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Like he dropped something, mm-hmm. right? So the guy's like, you know, today... Easy listening jazz. Um, you heard the soul sounds of yellow belly lead butter, and he was in there, and, and then some shit fell. 
And Stern said, at that moment, I was riveted. I was actually paying attention to the show because something unexpected happened. Mm-hmm. Right. So my point being gotcha. is, is like the potential for what a podcast can actually be is beyond what radio is. Radio is a, a medium that happens in real time in the sense that there's a broadcast and it's broadcast always at the same time. And there's limits to it because it's so expensive to fucking produce. Gotcha. You gotta have a giant building. You gotta have cocksuckers down opening doors. You gotta have a sound engineer. You got some bald prick behind a glass, you know, moving dials. Mm-hmm. But for a podcast, it's way more intimate. Mm-hmm. There's no time constraints. Mm-hmm. There's no network cocksucker suit on your back telling you what's what. Nope. You could say whatever the fuck you want. That's right. All right. So, having said that, and we've always said that this show, part of this show's appeal is going to be like the listener, Mr. and Mrs. Earbuds, are going to be a fly on the wall to some real conversations. Right. So, you know, when people complain like, or, and by the way, it's not a lot of complaints, I don't think. But when people notice that you're doing your own natural thing and being you. Yes. And it's eating a little bit. And they think like, oh, it's got to be a a super produced, super professional show, Mm -hmm. um, I push back on it a little bit, you know? Maybe there does need to be an intervention. Yeah, you can be teased about it. I think that's funny. I think that's legit. I think that we, I think our show on the technical side is extremely professional and produced. Right. You know? Right. Thank you, uh, Mr. Sean Lewis, old blue eyes. Old blue eyes. Oh, yeah. Um, and I turn think up your that, mic, old blue. I can barely hear you. Sorry, <laughs> man. But I think, <clears throat> I think we're free flowing in the in the in the context or how we approach the show is is real. It's unfiltered. It's you know, and our show, as far as like editing goes, isn't like majorly produced. Right. And all this other shit. Huh, it, yeah. You know. Right there, Sean. You work on some other shows, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, <clears throat> one of the shows you work, I mean, go ahead and say, what the, what is the show? Uh, I work on Finding 40 uh, with Liz Glazer that's on Spotify, and then I work on Disinfect, another podcast, and then I work on a show called The End of Radio. Okay, The End of Radio. So, by the way, anyone listening, you want Sean's services, you're coming under the hard luck show. We don't, we're not necessarily controlling your, we don't want to control your content at all, but- Sean got a platform because of this show and people can see how this show rolls. But Sean, compared to those other shows, right? Mm-hmm. How heavily produced is this show? Uh, it's barely produced. I mean, you know, I run some, I run some, uh, some just kind of vo- some gain reduction and that sort of thing, thing some, some leveling. Right. And when then, was the last time you had it. to edit anything out? Um, Back in um, the show with the the girls, there there was a mention of a name, a certain name. Right, right. right so right. it was a, po- a it was a legal, it was a legal, right, was right. A legal, legal issue. Thing, right. It was a legal thing. Yeah. Right. So, so I cut I, it out. Right. So to a certain extent, like you're saying, Steve, it, the show's not like mega produced. And I even had to come to this place because I remember there was a show or two that I felt <laughs> a little bit apprehensive about. Right. You know, um, and uh, Shumahan really explained to me, listen, man, we need to let we need to let these topics be talked about. We need to let people hear this. 
Um, and he's like, I know that you like things really clean and tight and, and you know, this and that. And he goes, but that's not real life. Right. And we've got real listeners. Um, yeah. And, and so he just kind of, and it kind of backed up off of it and just let the show be the show. You know, what's what we talk about and what, what's said. And we just let you guys have it and hear it. And uh, there's usually no real agenda. Um, even, even I mean, there, there, there's no agenda right there now. Isn't. There's not an agenda right now. That's to be the name of the show, No Agenda. No Agenda Right Now. <laughs> no Agenda Right Now. Yeah. Um, how, no Agenda Right Now. How's the show doing, Jim, uh, Sean? It's doing great. Is it fantastic? Better do than we, it's ever done before. We're breaking. Listen, keep, we're we're breaking. It continues rec- to do better and better. It, I need everybody who's listening right now. Well, either right now, text somebody. Our hard luck show at the hard luck show on the right, Instagram or right. hardluckshow.com and tell a friend about the show. We need your support. We want your support, and I need my listeners to spread the gospel. I got to tell you that. Uh, right. The show, of course, but yes, but the gospel is being spread like on its own. You, we have, I'm telling you, every month we gain way more downloads than we did the previous month. That hasn't changed ever since we started. But the I show. want more. I understand that. But I'm going to tell you something, man. Uh, yes, I want more. And yes, we always could use the support. And like Calco55, I can't, I'm sorry if I got it wrong. I can't think of your name. We got a handful of people so many guys that, that are promoting, yeah. right? That constantly yes. promote. But, but in, that in guy's all, a super fan. Yeah. In all, es- in all honesty, though, I got to tell you that uh, without any kind of promotion, and by the way, hardly any names that anybody would recognize, like no celebrities, like we don't. You know, we don't have, uh, you know, we don't have Joe Rogan come on and all that other kind of shit. We have a ton of growth, it's mega growth. And Capper 71. Right. Beer mostly, almost always. You know, Calco. Tattoo um, Life 87. Calco 5522, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. That, uh, hey, that it, is a Tasty Burger. Marcel. Yeah. That's the guy. Is That Tasty Burger guy, which is an allusion to. Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. He's the one that made the rib comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Royda five eleven. <laughs> right, always up on there. Always Marsola thirteen. Big ups to you, Spiders Hood. We even had him oh, as a guest. Yeah, yeah, always, brother. Eighteen dot Savage. Right, definitely. Oprah dot Winfrey. She's who's a super fan. That, who's the guy that just had a kid? Huh? Uh, Gustavez or something? I don't know. Gustavez seventeen. Right, right. Donald, dot, uh, let's see, Don, the real Donald dot Trump. He's a super fan, even though we don't <laughs> care. Uh, let's see, Mike Pompeo, super fan. Shane Two XL, super fan. Cookies SF, super fan. West Grove, super fan. Games Three Two Three, super fan. Yeah, Games Three Two Three. Hey, Andy Alvarez is always on there. Thank you, Tate Fletcher, super fan. Absolutely, Queen's Got Skills, super fan. Trigger Joe Seventy Four. He not half of our guests become super fans. Big Luck 17, super fan. Oh, hey, yeah. That guy, he's, uh, he likes it, yeah. <laughs> Sean Allen Lewis, super fan. Frank Ball, super fan. We Are Those People, nonprofit, super fan. Yep. Ann Coulter, conservative bitch, super fan. <laughs> <laughs> Telling you. Uh, let's see. Sweet Susie uh, underscore underscore Q, 
Super fan? Miss a uh, hey, Miss Santiago 212. OG Lepke, super fan. Yeah. Right? Cell Dog, super fan. Branton Box, super fan. Manny Locke, super fan. St. James Dot Sent, super hey, fan. Big Red underscore SKZ. Thank you for always the shout outs, bro. Crispy Notes, super fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole. Remember old Nicole? Oh, yeah. oh yeah. sweet yeah. Nicole. Oh. What was her? I think st- it's Mr. Gustavus. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he's a, he's, he's a super solid, fan. Right? Uh, Dr. Fauci, super fan. Fuck Dr. Fauci. Hey, hey, that guy, super fan. He's a scumbag. Why? What's wrong with him? Fuck that dude. All right. All right. Uh, Jeff Why? Sessions, super fan. He's trying to get all of Alabama onto this. That's it. Uh, ever since uh, we brought in his uh, prostitute, uh, Elon Musk, super fan. <laughs> Remember that? Joe Biden, super fan. Um, uh, crackhead infant on the sidewalk, super fan. And a big fan. shout out to Vile One. Vile One, super fan. Yep, Lana awesome. Del Rey, super fan. Yep. Uh, uh, Ivanka Trump, super fan. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Ivanka Trump. Iceberg Slim, super fan. Well, we like Iceberg Slim. Hey, who's that guy? David Groins? No, Donald Goins. Donald Goins, super fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, we're gonna have, we're gonna do a Netanyahu, do a, super fan. We're gonna do a little show on uh, <laughs> Iceberg Slim. Yeah, uh, Colonel uh, Sanders, super. Oh uh, yeah, Church's yeah. Chicken, super fan. Yeah. Um, man, I don't even know why you got me started on. Yeah, we are. We might do. Sean wants to do a history of pimping, which mm. I think is too big of a net to cast. Mm. But I started reading the autobiography of Iceberg Slim, who is probably the guy who brought the pimp game and the pimp persona into the mainstream eye. Uh-huh. Right? Like, obviously, you know, Baby Bell and um, you know, Sweet Poison and Glass Tie, all these guys were, were around before. But Iceberg Slim was the first one to write it all down get it published, and influence the second second wave of pimping. When you got Ice, Ice-T all up on it, you know, Snoop Dogg probably borrowed a ton of his thoughts on it. Um, Chris Rock's brother, mm-hmm. I think it's his brother, Shabazz, went to prison for a long time, came back. He had everything, Quran, and then a whole library by Iceberg Slim. Wow. So um, I'm reading it. You know, just for my own edification. And as I'm reading this thing, I'm like, man, this fucking story is incredible. It's It takes... Iceberg Slim's story sets up the pimp game in like the 30s and 40s. 20s, 30s, and 40s. Right? Like, just prior to World War II and then a little bit after World War II. Pimping and pandering. Right. He gets busted three times, so there's a prison element to it which lines up with the show. Um, All of the tales he tells are amazing in terms of everything from what it takes to be a pimp, and and that fucking pimping is a school game. Mm -hmm. It's a school game. Like, you got to be smart. All the way to his life after pimping when he decides to write this thing. And he eventually gives up the pimp mantle. Mm. Because he's like, he realizes at some point that it's actually a bad racket. You're never going to make it to the top 
on a pimp con. Hmm. So he moves off of that in his regular life and becomes an exterminator. Moves out west to L.A. where his mama was at. Hmm. Marries this white woman he found at a hamburger stand. Hmm. And she's straight up like honey boo-boo bear white trash to me. I saw some video, uh, uh, like videos of her. Good woman. I'm not trying to down her. I'm just saying in terms of the way she speaks and how she comes across, it's like, it's like trailer, but she's a, oh, she's a white lady, nice lady, and obviously smart. And I think the thing that, the, that, that, that Iceberg Slim's life really brings out more than anything else is how there's a differential. There's a gap. There's a, there's a divide between someone's IQ, their potential of intelligence, mm-hmm. and the culture uh, from where they identify. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to say is, you know, uh, Iceberg Slim grew up poor and black in a time when uh, that really meant something, like for real, for real. For real, for real. And so his cultural language, right, comes from that, mm. right? And his cultural he- heroes um, flow from that up to a point. Because he's in the street. He's got a single mom, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into the whole story because I, I think we do need to get into it. Some of the things are fantastic. Mm. But his intelligence, he had an IQ of 175 and graduated high school, like, I think by the time he was 15. At that time. All right? Mm. Which is why, if you think about it, of all the pimps that have ever existed, who was the first one to actually publish an in-depth book? From his perspective, it was Iceberg Slim. So you got to think, okay, so that dude does. But part of that is also due to his wife, his, his, his later uh, Caucasian-American wife. Did he pimp her too? No, no, he didn't. She wasn't like that. But I wanted to say something about that too because his wife comes across like a honey boo-boo bear type lady. Like, um, dude, I wish that white trash Tammy on on that on youtube she's kind of like that Mm -hmm. sounds like that and talks like that smokes like that has phlegm rattling around in her chest like that Mm. but but she's phlegm rattling around (laughs) every time she talks you can hear it like just gurgling yeah like a dry bean in an empty can just kind of (laughs) like but anyway when she's talking Mm -hmm. right he's married now now he's out of the game he's squared up which before it meant fighting meant getting clean and running a regular life, squaring up like a square. He marries her. He becomes an exterminator. Kill I think we better hold up on this conversation because we're giving up a little bit too much. All right. Well, you know what? All right. You know what? Uh, you agree, right. Sean? Yeah. I'm giving just... up way too much game. Yeah, bro. Let's just. All right. Let's, <laughs> so let's... Iceberg Slim. Okay. Which <sighs> kicked off uh, me kind of trying to introduce Chumahan to Donald Goins, who was. Which a, I will get to. A dope fiend in Detroit in the 60s and 70s that wrote. It's it's just. It's a very, very interesting story. I think they did. I think it was. Jay Z. Possibly had something to do with producing a movie and DMX starting it called Donald Goins. Yeah, they tried to do something. I never watched it. Um, I was into Donald Goins long, long before any of these guys were bringing up the name Donald Goins. You know what trips me out is it's like there's a million great like stories like Donald Goins or, uh, but it always seems like 
it's very rare that a quality movie is made about it. What is sure, that? What's sure. the problem with that? Like, do I think it, there is later on down the road once it's exploited and you know some other people, but it's usually I think with that that folklore coming out of like the hoods and stuff. The yeah. people that first want to tell the story aren't necessarily people that have all the um, advantages or uh, ha- have everything to actually do it. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because they had the same problem with The Godfather, right? Yeah. So they exactly. made all these mafia films, but most of the people that were making the mafia films, they don't even know that Italian, American-Italian culture. And they weren't from those neighborhoods. They don't know those guys. Well, okay. Right? So they would make these mafia films with a bunch of guys yelling, Mamma Mia! And then, like, you know, firing guns and shit like that. And it just sucked. Right. Then they brought in Coppola. Mm -hmm. All right? And they brought in the people, the actors, and all these people who are a little bit more connected to the community, if not actually from the community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And so then they were able to produce something of such high caliber for that that matches the risks and the rewards well you know you gotta remember too man you had people like scorsese doing movies like mean streets right early right and he didn't have them you know look at check that movie out and look how it's shot right you know and he's trying to get across a a wise guy good fella street hustler you know right out of little italy you know right and but he can't tell this. He doesn't have the access to the d- the dudes. Well, he's he, no. He's got some guys, and he's got down. But he doesn't have access to the production quality and all, oh, all the things, the saying. finances to really do it. You know, it, until later on, he's able to do Goodfellas. But he still had that knowledge. He still understood the story he was trying to tell back then. Right. But would you say that Mean Street? Love that movie, by the way. Right. So my point is, is like I think that. If you know the culture and you have access to the culture, even if your production values aren't so good, it'll come across better than having all the production values and no and I, connection. I, I agree. It's got to go both ways. Yes. So my thinking is, is that like when I think about like Iceberg Slims or, or David Goins, I'm like, fuck, man. Like part of what has to be done, too, mm-hmm. is to approach the project or approach the film or approach the story not from a um not from a um like oh you know here's this wild tale and mm-hmm. and this is what it is but you have to approach the story from an emotional standpoint of understanding what's motivating the people inside this this story you know what? I would go as far as to, I can tell you right now, this is my thought. Yeah. I bet you that whoever the guys were, whether it was Nas or Jay-Z or whoever it was that came up with the idea to do the film, yeah. Donald Goins, yeah. they probably had an idea in their head of bringing this to a big studio. And they had visions of trying to make this a big film. And I bet you it got shot down. And those people were like, we don't understand doesn't make sense or we don't like it or we right. don't we don't want to tell that story what nobody wants to watch that story except black people or you know what i'm saying like right. i bet it got dissed like that okay and they had to finance and try and make it their own uh, on their own and i think because i didn't even see it man because i just i think i saw clips of it and it was just did not look like it was put together well at all see i think 
that's secondary to me. Like, this is my approach. Mm-hmm. This is my approach. Because there's a lot of shitty quality films in the sense of how it's shot that are fan-fucking-tastic. I mean, but it's because you've captured the emotion that's really in it. You can't make the film because you think that this film's going to put you on. You can't gotcha. make the film because you want to be associated with that type of life. Because that's a different intention. Like, you're moving from a different mm-hmm. intention. Mm-hmm. You have to let go of all that, including even the judgments involved against the characters from your own personal belief system. And you have to get inside the way a detective gets inside the head of a serial killer in order to truly understand these detectives really. You know, when I was reading the Hillside Strangler book, uh, Strangler's book, one of the detectives told the guy, like, you know what? You and me ain't so different. Like, I just took one left turn. And that's why. And But we're in the same cell. I'm interrogating you. I'm on this side. It's all about dead women. You're on that side. Right. And I've had to go through and examine and look from your perspective what you were up to. Even had to understand how you enjoyed it. Even as though it makes me sick in other parts of my soul, I have to, if I'm going to actually catch up to you, understand how you feel when you're doing these things. So I think when you're making a film and telling a story, you also have to have the ability to get in touch with that. Part of what makes like an Iceberg Slim story so great is understanding where his heart is at Mm. when he's doing these things. And in order to do that, you got to look at him as a person and not as a commodity to yourself. Like, I think it's easy for people to say like, well, okay, well, we're not going to judge him from where he's at because let's understand his psychology. That's still too remote. Right. Most of these studios and the people who want to tell the story, most of them are trying to get or make, a, make dough. So sometimes the subject matter is a commodity even to the people who don't realize that's how they're treating it they're like oh this is a piece of property that i can sell that's true mm-hmm. but i'm also saying that you can't have that you have that attitude that agenda you have that agenda when you're selling it mm-hmm. right when you're in the studio with the when you're in the office with the other producer you can't walk in with that you can't approach you with that Ed. but when you're trying to tell the story oh yeah you got to be in this thing of this is this is this we is gotta a, save money. We got to do this. Gotta, yeah, you yeah. can't do any of that. Yeah, right. That right, comes right. later. That, make, that makes complete sense. I agree with you hundred percent. That's how you get past. That's what mythology is. Mythology. You know, when you think about. So that's why uh, Goodfellas. Watch out. Yeah, that's why Goodfellas is so good. Is because you really get into Henry Hill's mind, his heart, his emotion, and you can see. Not just it's not just about why somebody does something, but it's also about you know how they feel about it, how they really feel, not how they want, not even how. And sometimes that gets in the way of a great story is the subject themselves isn't honest with themselves yet. And when you approach and you're talking certain things and you're getting inside the story. You have to also be kind of aware that the ego of the subject might not allow them to be honest about how they feel about what's going on. And you have to be able to navigate not upsetting them with your insights, 
but at the same time being able to probe and pull out those real intimate feelings that they really have, you know? And that's one of the great things about the iceberg story is, is that I think it's because of his intelligence. He's pretty clear on how it all got started for him. So I think you need to read some Donald Goins too when you're done. But really, this, the way this guy describes what's going on, it's so clear that there's certain things in life that when I read them or when they're told, I know from the way they're describing it, the only way that they could describe something like that is if they were there. Get what I'm saying? Right. And Donald Goins was a heroin addict, and he just... The, the the heroin trade, the 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 pimp Stofine street people the, who he's running around with. I mean, he just tells it from from that. It's just great, dude, the way he breaks shit down, man. So you guys should go check out some Donald Goins books. Some of the titles are Never Die Alone, Death List, Dope Fiend, Kenyatta's Last Hit, Crime Partners. I mean, it, to me, I was into this shit. When I was young, I was just captivated by his books whore son um what cry was, revenge what was what was um what was it about the the goins books that actually captured you as a kid i think originally uh the stories you know i was captivated by by metropolitan i think metropolitan dope fiends like where this thing was like, you know, I, I was, I was, I was shooting out, man. So I was like caught up in that. And, and like, there was a, like a lot of crazy shit that goes along with that lifestyle when you, when you really look at it. And I was intrigued by the New York City whole, that whole thing. And Did that seem like a connection to your Italian side? No, just like the, you know, it's just like the whole like, being, I would think I was trying to understand being strung out on this drug and by hearing and reading about it in, in other cities across the United States, I felt like I was a part of this whole culture, if you want to call it. Yeah. You know? um, well, wait a second. Were or you, addiction or whatever you want to call that. Were man. you were you using at that time? Yeah, 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 yeah. I see. So for you, it was like a, a whole cultural thing and you were looking at it in different cities yeah, how but it goes down and what are the dope fiends doing? And they're talking about shooting this China white dope and out here we're shooting tar. And, and it was just like all this scurviness. And like that. finally I picked up Donald Goins book and I was like, damn, this motherfucker's writing about all the shit that's really going down in the rooms that people don't know about. What, what is it about the culture and the rooms that people don't know. What is it that attracts you to? I don't. I think it was like the the, the hustle, the drugs, the dealing, the, the the scheming, the the overall the way it's distributed, and like the the whole the best dope, the strongest dope. The, you know, I don't know, man. Like the whole thing was like this dark thing that you're wrapped in, and and it was there was part of it that was intriguing. I think this, I think that there's something about it that, you know, there's something about it intriguing. You find that all intriguing. That's how you even fucking pick up a syringe and put it in your arm. Yeah, but you know? like, so when you pick up a syringe and put it in your arm, right? 
Do you know, and I'm talking about you, mm-hmm. do you know at that time, like, it's not going to end well? No. You don't? Despite? No. What do you think? I, I think the very time, first time you pick up a syringe, for at least for me, yeah. what's going through my head is there's still these these scenes of these movies playing from grammar school. You do heroin, you're gonna die. You OD, like you know. So I was like, the first time that a needle was going in my arm, I was like, is this gonna be it? Well, that's what I mean. This isn't gonna end well. Like I would think that you. What I'm trying to get at is why, when you actually think like I could, this could be it, do you still go for it? Why do you still allow it to happen? Because at that point in time, I don't think you care. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at. So. Yes, you don't care. You, you don't, so you kind of like fuck it when you got the fuck it's a real case of the fuck it's. Yeah, and you really don't. You're willing to take that gamble, over, right? You know, and that's a that's a problem, right? If you're that's how you're thinking, that's already a problem, right? Because listen, if you've put a needle in your vein, and I, I'm not going to speak on like if you snorted a line, if you did a hit ass, or something. I'm speaking specifically on intravenous drugs. Right. You put a needle in your arm. That is, there is an underlining major problem with you. Right. Because normal, whatever you want to call normal people, or maybe I should better off saying healthy or somewhat healthy people. Right. Would never do something like that. They certainly wouldn't do it to themselves. They certainly, because you you don't have necessarily uh, a, a... you don't have any verification, exact verification of what you got in your hand. I, I remember. No, you don't. And you, it's all like you're, 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 it's Russian roulette. You're testing, you're trying, you don't know. Right. Like, well, fuck it. Let's just see what happens. You know, and, like yeah. that type of shit. And then somebody, somebody might assist you on the first one. In a lot of stories that I've read, there's always like somebody does the first of one. Of course. All somebody right. else. Man, that guy ain't a doctor. He ain't no doctor. You don't know. And <laughs> you don't know if these needles are clean or not unless you see them pulled out of the thing. Okay, fine. I even think there must be a thrill aspect to the fuck it. Let's spin the dial and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's a gambling aspect to that. There there absolutely is, and uh, it's you know. But it was there was a lot of just I don't know, man. For me, there was a lot of sick romanticizing about it. I mean, I yeah. What's I'd that watch, about? I had watched dudes older than me fix. I had seen what they look like. After they got high, right. they like that—that that looked attractive in some ways to me, very right. much so. The whole ritual of doing it was right. like real advanced. Like, damn, this motherfucker's like, like this is like these are like doctors, you know, like almost. It looks like that, you know what I'm saying? And right. um, heating it up, bottom fucking tear a can in half and cook it up, and a little, you think you're pulling a piece of the filter of the fucking cigarette and balling it up for the filter. And it's just like the whole thing was just like, what the fuck? Like, and so I think that, uh, with that, you know, they're, they're just that whole thing, you know, and then there's, you know, the stories of Billy holiday and, and, and Charlie Parker and Miles Davis and like these dope fiends and you know Art, what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like artists, yeah, glamorous, dude, like, so there's art. all that. There's just a lot of different proxies, but like, um, a, like it's, it, there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a mystification, a kind of, yeah, and it's a real little club, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you're real different if that's what you're doing. You know, you're part of a very select few. 
Right. You know that, I, but I just you know I'm not saying any of that now. You know it's uh, that's it, the attraction. That's the attraction, at the time. and especially when you when you your young man seeing the world through glasses like I did. But back to Donald Goins and some of these writings and some of this stuff that I literature I was reading. You hear about like this other type of dope, and then Donald Goins would break down what it felt like to get high. And his was first it, shot and, was it and, accurate? Oh, bro. He just goes through the dope sick. He goes through the euphoria of getting high. He goes through like drawing it up and clogging and this and, and the binky and how they used to use before they had regular syringes, like like the size of the needle. And all this shit, if you're a dope fiend, if you're shooting up, you're intrigued by a lot of this. So like uh. you want to hear stories about people that are doing the same shit as you right? in different cities. And like, right. Know? So, I mean, when you think about the heroin trade like how it even got out here you know and how they began to make this a business and pack it up and like this is lethal shit that they figured out how to measure out yeah get people strung out yeah and you'll know, keep coming back no matter what they get i mean it's it's fucking kind of crazy you know all of it you know? right and some of it's coming from mexico some of it's coming from china some of it's coming from you know you know fucking the middle east it's like it's just all of it was at that time intrigued me and like i said he was telling he was telling stories that were going on behind the doors right. of a lot of this lifestyle you know and uh, it's interesting but you know these are some shows that we're going to tackle right um you know i just as talking to you and sometimes when we have these moments where we get like an intimate um conversation with steve lucky luciano and it's always fascinating there's always and, uh, and for all you fuckers are going to text me and say quit sucking steve's dick i'm not i'm just saying what's real which is that it's interesting when we get into these uh, uh, psychological aspects it goes right to what we were talking about what makes a good movie for somebody who's gone through these things mm -hmm. and what kind of makes a shake and bake movie mm -hmm. and it goes back to the um opera song when we had that music show mm -hmm. right and you mm -hmm. you saw it what was the british game show that the guy was on what was no, that? it was it was Amer it was uh, it was american idol wasn't it yeah it was yeah. british idol or something maybe it was american i think it was british idol anyway it doesn't mm -hmm. matter the point is is this fucking ratchet toothed british chubby cell phone salesman comes in yeah and yeah. knocks out this opera piece that Nessun Dorma, Pavarotti. Yeah. Nessun Dorma. That's right, my yeah. good man. Yep. But Nessun Dorma, right? So I've been studying opera, as you know. I bored mm -hmm. the shit out of you and your friend the other day when I went through. No, you didn't. Okay, good. I love that. So Nessun Dorma, right? And I had no idea that this was going to happen, mm -hmm. right? So I've been sitting there. Um, I started out with Mozart, just his life first okay mm -hmm. so i was like I, you know what man i want to really know about this guy because i watched the movie a million times and i love the movie but is any of that shit real amadeus mm -hmm. then i got the biography got through that and i was like no it wasn't real it was real that he was a genius it mm -hmm. was real that he did all that shit but he wasn't a big kid and he wasn't all fucked up that's false that's just people trying to mitigate the fact that he was a he was a genius, a genius right, okay right. then that led me to studying his operas because apparently in it's german now you think about opera it's an italian thing mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. it's an italian thing puccini and all that yeah rossini mm -hmm. puccini what's some but the povero but the thing is right here's mm -hmm. the thing caruso yeah here's the thing 
Italian language lends itself to opera. Absolutely. Okay? Because part of opera, when the sopranos, by the way, the, the whole idea of a, a woman singer who you can't deal with because she's got too many demands and she's sick and tired of your fucking face because she's the greatest thing since sliced bread and she's a prima donna mm-hmm. comes from actual sopranos back in the 15, 16, 1700s who are these great singers, these women singers. Not the show The Sopranos? No. Okay. No, but it's interesting that it was called The Sopranos knowing about opera's background. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different thing. But the point is, 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 is that all the sing culture that we have now, all the pop culture that we have, Beyonce, Madonna, mm-hmm. fucking Rihanna, mm-hmm. all that stuff actually is derivative of the arias, which were the pop songs in an opera in those times, 15, 16, 17, 1800s, mm. right? And so... So it, Italian, because of the vowels, the way the ends in the vowels, allows these prima donnas to do v- vocal flourishes really easily. So when you hear African-American women singing in the church and they do that whole shit, all that extra shit, that also too comes from opera, right? Because that's what these prima donnas would do to the songs to get some extra dap from the audience. All right. So all of that in Italian with its vowels allows that. So it's even more impressive that a German, Mozart, mm-hmm. would put such an influential stamp on an Italian thing. Mm. Because German, no matter which way you slice it, it's like, Eins of a Like none yeah. of that makes sense for right. trying to do trills and all this other shit vocally. Mm-hmm. So, so for Mozart to come along and actually reinvent opera mm-hmm. for a German-based language, because at that time, opera was like the movies now. Everybody was trying to get their own national studio going. Italy got ahead of everybody. Right. Because it was... And as, they, it, as they usually do. Right. Well, that's where Rome is. That's right. Okay. Let's stop fucking around. So the point is, is so, so everyone else trying to do it, Mozart actually did it and leads to... And eventually, so I started studying all the opera. Well, as I'm studying, what comes to the forefront? But Steve, Lucky Luciano's favorite fucking opera song, uh, Nessun Dorma, right? Nessun Dorma, the one that made him tear up from the X Factor Uh that we listened to. I can't remember the music show. It was American Idol, bro. Okay, okay. Okay, right. okay. It was, what's it, don't you remember the main producer of American Idol? Yeah, that fucker, that, that guy's name? Simon Cowell. Simon Cowell. He, he was, was on it, but everyone else was British. That's the only reason so why I said So maybe it was before it came to America. I don't know. Who Does it fucking matter? No. Okay. What's the matter? Okay. Hmm. <laughs> what's the matter? What's the matter? It doesn't matter. All right. So the point is, is, uh, so I'm listening to it, right? And uh-huh. I'm like, and then this is in my like 15. Were you listening to it? Uh, Aside of when I was, we were listening to it together, the first time that I became aware of it was when you showed it to me at, right. that, at that show. Right. So while I'm listening to the history of opera, mm-hmm. right? So in the morning, sometimes I'll go on and get professor lectures. Right. Okay. Now you listen to some opera. Listen. Let me. Um, we're gonna get there. Okay. So 
I'm listening to lectures. I got into opera through the back door through Mozart. Then I started having more respect for the Italian stuff. Then I understood where it started to come from. And I went and got professor lectures that you can get now online. Anybody can do it. If, if, but I'm running in the morning three hours. Mm-hmm. So I got three hours to sit and listen to lectures on opera while I'm running. Nessun Dorma, your favorite yes. song, comes in. And not only that, but I get to listen to where that comes from. Because mm-hmm. that's just one song from Absolutely. an overall Opera. opera. Right. And it comes from Puccini's Puccini, opera Torando. Right. Yeah. Which is about the daughter of this Middle Eastern king, I think. That's why it's called Torando, Turkey. Mm-hmm. And uh, this prince caliph wants to marry her. And there's these riddles. And he's going to figure out. He's going to marry. She doesn't want to marry him. And he says, okay, I figured out you stupid three riddles. You're going to have to marry me. Or you can find out my name before sunup. You can find out my name before sunup, and then I won't marry you. And so that song, Nessun Dorma, mm-hmm. right, is really the title is Let No One Sleep. Yeah. Right? Nessun Dorma. Let No One Sleep is what he's singing. Let No One Sleep. And that's the one that makes you emotional. Yes. And let me tell you something. Let me ask you this. Is Mm. there anything funny or interesting or ironic about that your favorite opera song is titled Let No One Sleep? Hmm. I don't know. Think about it. Let me ask you a question. Before we started the show, how much sleep had you gotten? Before we started the show? The show... In general. The Not enti- a lot of sleep. Right. <laughs> Not a lot of sleep. Right. You were telling us in one of the shows that like you might have like gone three years without. Oh, yeah, bro. Right. True, true to that. So as I'm jogging and I'm listening to Nessun Dorma and, I, and it's telling me it's about not letting anyone sleep and there will be a victory because no one can sleep. You only got uh, all night uh. to figure out what my real name is. Right. That's what the song's about. You only have tonight to figure out what my name is. No one's going to sleep. And by the way, when the sun comes up, Vincharo. <laughs> Vincharo. Like which means I will be victorious. Mm. Let no one sleep. You will not know my real identity. And when the sun comes up, I will be victorious. And you know, as I was running, I laughed my fucking kneecaps off because I'm like, holy shit. If that doesn't sum up a certain aspect of Steve Lucky Luciano, I don't know what does. Did you know the exact translation of all the lyrics for this song? I do not know all the, uh, I do not. And I'm not even saying that to say you should. I'm just saying. So um, let's go uh, just a little. I just want to touch on it because I put together a playlist for my daughter. Beautiful. All right, Tigra. And that song is in the playlist, Mr. Luciano. But okay. it's, in the, it's in the playlist because as I listened to... So Pavarotti's got the most infamous version, mm-hmm. okay? And there's a multiple versions by different Oh, tenors. bro, everybody's done it. Right, and it's in every movie. Yeah. But I don't think anybody really understands what it means and, what, and why it's so powerful and all that other stuff. So I put it in my daughter's thing because... I am teaching my daughter 
I'm putting all of this music that I'm learning from studying classical and all this other stuff. Not that I'm trying to make her only listen to classical. I got to listen to all the other shit too. Plus my wife's got her on reggaeton, okay? Mm-hmm. So the, I'm not trying to do some kind of like classicist shit. Mm-hmm. But I'm setting her up to see the influences. Sure. But listen, opera comes from, right, part of the vocalizing, the choral singing comes from originally church music. Mm-hmm. All right, that makes sense, right? Absolutely. Gregorian chants. Right. Okay. You're like, in yeah, the yeah. money, son. All right. And then when that started out, okay, like when we're talking, I want to say 1300s, 1200s, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking like Middle Ages or dark, end of the Dark Ages, something like that. I don't know. Somebody correct me in the exact date, but it's like that 1200, 1100. The only entertainment in town was the church right there ain't shit going on except plague and fucking rashes below your waist right that was it right right and that's you know and maybe some fucking malto meal that's what right. everyone's eating back then mm-hmm. all right so you go to the church and you listen to this stuff and at first the church is real you know kind of like uh, uh austere really hard and they're like listen you don't come to church to be one one syllable for one note and everyone's singing the same shit. We're not mm-hmm. going to get fancy. So it's like, that's where you get the Gregorian chants where it's like, Boo. then, right? Then at some point, the church music and all the people who compose for church music becomes secularized. It gets out of church. And part of the reason is what they call the great schism. The great schism, what's that? Real quick, it's when there was four different popes. And nobody knew who was the real boss. Mm. And the plague had also hit Europe. Mm. So as a result, people were like, okay, I'm losing faith in this because you guys don't even know what you're doing. Mm. So fuck you. I'm going to do my own thing and do it. At that point, a lot of the church music Mm. started to become about non-church shit. Right. Okay. One of the greatest composers of that time of this is someone named Josquin, who is an Italian, an Italian guy. And he makes this song called El Grillo, Mm. which is about a cricket. Not about Jesus, Mm. not about sanctification, just about a cricket. So uh-huh. I put so that's so I put that for a tigra on her playlist. That's her mm. morning music. I wake mm. her up with that. No, good. Right? That's Soft good. but kind of peppy. Yeah. But as I and so I'm putting in the opera. So I put Nusandorma in there mm-hmm. for her from mm-hmm. the Pavarotti. She started smiling. She got all excited. Not only did she get excited, but she started throwing her hands up. Yeah. All right. And I liked it so much that the last run that I did for about an hour. I was sprinting, so we're talking like six mm, miles, mm, mm. and I had on loop the tor- the the Nessun Dorma. It's one of the most famous Italian opera right? So songs he's saying, ever. "No one sleeps, no one sleeps." But this part is Luciano, is when he gets going. I'm gonna cut right to the kind of the finale. Oh yeah. Oh, that's the greatest part. Right. I get emotional every time I hear it. Like, he's going to win when the sun comes up. He's going to win, right? Right there. Now listen. Then listen right here. This is what makes it. 
bring your note that high, bro. Listen, when that part comes every time when I'm running, mm-hmm. I start sprinting. Yeah, of like course. with the wind. Well, of course, with brother. the wind. And when you get a visual on the guy from the idol doing it, yeah, yeah, it just does something to you, man. Because I think it's like as soon as you visually see him start to where he ends, yeah, that journey that takes what a minute a minute easily is just so full of emotion bro i mean it is over you're oh this guy is overcoming and you're watching it unfold in front of you i don't know it, it, it's one of the craziest things that affects but me dude, the most. It, it, dude when i watch pavarotti do it even okay absolutely so pavarotti watch comes the three tenors do it dude when he walks out right i love fucking watching pavarotti okay i got i got to tell you the guy first of all i did see him live on his last tour, I saw him live with my father and my Aunt Sherry. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But what I love when he walks up is he's this huge guy. Yeah. Right? He's huge. And he comes out, and he's got that handkerchief. Yeah, of course, bro. <laughs> yeah. Just like the king, right? Like, Or maybe the king got it from him. Who the fuck knows? Liberace. He comes out, bouncing. He's got the handkerchief. You know, his hairs must be dyed by now because he's a little bit older. Absolutely. And the crowd goes nuts. You see all, the, the whole idea of throwing roses on the stage. That comes from opera. So he comes out, whatever. He says that. But when you watch his face when he hits those notes. Oh, man. he's I'm telling you, bro. Oh, it's the best. Listen, you've got to watch. Uh, when, you, when you Google it, it'll come right up. But it's the three tenors. Right. And it's Placido Domingo. Um, and then Jose, it's Carreras. And... And I got Luciano it right Pavarotti, here. okay? Yeah, the three so it's the, it's the three of them. And they do no Sinderma. And man, dude, when they start hitting those parts, they're hitting it together, bro. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. I, I, I've listened to it 10,000 times, so I know the exact recording you're, let's, you're watching. Let's. let's I, love the con- I love conductors, dude. They always look like, sh- like, like, they look like nut jobs. Okay, I, I don't know which guy that is. That's. Is it a little guy or is it a taller guy? Taller guy. Yeah, that's uh, right there. That's that's Placido Domingo. Okay, that's Placido Domingo. Yeah. He looks a little like a fat Adam Carolla. Looks a little bit like a fat Adam. Then there's going to be a little guy, and that's Carrera. Right. The little guy looks like. And you know these guys are famous singers. Real international. International. Like you could go to like North Korea and Carrera is like Carrera, like that fucking Porsche Carrera. Right. You know? Yeah. Placido Domingo. Yeah. He looks like a little bit like uh, Kevin Pollock. Oh, come on. Yeah, you can't mistake that word. Oh, come on. These two guys are probably the best, and then Luciano's like their boss. Exactly. No, it's. Oh, his face, his eyes are about to pop out of his skull. So good. And these two guys are like his backup. Listen, listen, listen. Oh, well, it goes on. Yeah, but, 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 but the... Anyway, all right. Yeah, it's, I don't know. That's great. You know what I, Do you think our I, audience even is interested in the opera? If I'm interested in it, then they're interested in it. Now, let me just... I got to put you up on game, though. Go ahead. Okay. Right. I got to put... And listen, 
you listeners, put you up on game. A right. couple things. Right. What do they call that when you have like a, a secret, uh, a guilty pleasure? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. So I have a guilty pleasure. Which is? And my guilty pleasure is I like to I like to get real nice and comfortable in my bed at nighttime. Okay. Right? Lower the lights, just a little light. Uh, take yourself on a date or? No. And oh. then I like to put on <laughs> good Italian opera. Really? Right? Yeah. And read. Same time. Why is that but guilty? The, but but listen, the opera has to be like yeah, uh, uh, a Nessendorma, and that'll work. But what I what I go to is uh, a very 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 famous composer, Italian composer. Go ahead. His name is Ennio Marcione. And brother, if you're gonna start putting playlists for your daughter, you have to. You have to put Ennio. He's he's one of the greatest composers ever, dog. And he ever. was a 20th century composer. Right. So when you think about um, The Godfather, Raging Bull. Right. This is Ennio. They used Ennio's music in this. Right. When you think of uh, The Mission, films like that, that's Ennio Marcion. Dude. His music is... Listen to that. Dude, he's... that's he's, that. They use that in the movies. I can't remember what's all what's the. Ma- I'm talking about major you, soundtracks, bro. Listen to that. Did you ever listen to? Um, do me a favor. Do me a favor. That's. I need okay. you. I need, I need, Go, okay, just, come uh, on, please, please, please. Put on the opening music to Raging Bull right now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Put the opening now. Now, listeners, when you hear this, you're gonna recognize this from a lot of Italian mob movies. And you're going to be like, oh, I didn't know exactly, but it was in The Godfather. It was in Raging Bull. Okay. The theme, right? Yep. Now, yep. I think this is Pietro Mascagni. Yeah, okay. All but, right. But, but Marcion, Marcion, there you go. Marcion's the one who put it together for the film. Right. I almost cry every time I listen to this, man. I swear to God. Dude, your eyes are getting soft right man, now. Man, finish that. I don't care what the hell. We, I have to finish that. Right. I love this, man. This takes me somewhere, man. Like when I was a little boy. I can hear this playing. Like how old are we talking? Yeah, I can. Uh, it's almost like when you see like my mom doing things around the house, my dad cooking in the kitchen. What would he be cooking? Scamping from the Italian. Yeah. What yeah. would your mom do? Like just pick up like picking up stuff. The Luciano Garden of Eden. Right here, man. This is the build-up on it. So far away right now. Yeah. Like I'm looking at you. You're just far away from what you said. The aging innocence. Yeah. Paradise. 
something about this particular song, man. Like, there's a hope to it, you know. There's a, oh man, I don't know, man. It gets emotional. Well, I'll tell you this. There's definitely a purity to this say that the opening to any cinematic film to me uh, Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull the opening credits in black and white when it's Jake LaMotta dancing around in slow motion with the robe on in the ring and that music coming on is what to me man that's cinematography right that's emotion that's depth that's I love that bro I love that Right, and then you contrast that with, right? For me, another great theme uh, is the the Conan themes, right? And it's mm. different than that. Mm. That is, like I said, it's like a lazy river. But then when you listen to, I think his name was Basil Lerman, mm. Baz Lerman, right? Mm. And you listen to the Conan, yeah, right. Let's hear, let's hear. All right, this is the Conan, right? This is the German hordes coming from the north. Yeah. Ready to fuck up your village. And you can feel that sort of touch of Mongol there. Yeah. Right. The fucking. In the times. A little touch of American Indian in there, too. I'm telling you, the tribal Germans were very much the Indians of, um, of, of Europe. Europe. In the time before man and gods, there was the. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> there was the. Basil oh, yeah, Polidor. Between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And unto this, Conan, to destined this. to bear the jeweled crown of Aquilonia upon a troubled brow. <laughs> it is I. His chronicle yeah, like who like alone can tell the they, they voice did. It's the uh, Let me that tell Asian you of the guy that he became friends with. It's the one that tells us. To... What? Come on. Yeah. I fucking love that. Hey, you guys. If you guys were here right now, you'd see Chumon. All of his veins are pumping through his I'll neck right fucking, now. I'm telling you. I could strangle a, 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 a fucking concrete statue when I hear this song. I'll pull a fire hydrant right out of the fucking sidewalk right now. <laughs> With my teeth. Uh, that's actually on my weight Pump up jam. Yeah, that's my fucking... I listen to that and I just think about riding big-ass Clydesdale into a fucking small village and just hacking everyone's head off. Damn. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how we got onto that. Uh, but I don't know, it, but I got a little emotional there for a minute. Yeah, you yeah. did. I loved it, and then yeah. I crushed it with the fucking Germanic oh. Conan. You didn't crush it, yeah. Yeah, there I am eating again. 
Yeah, I don't know. What are you eating? I'm eating pirate's booty. <laughs> Stop. I, now, let me tell you something, Bo. I know a little uh, bit about pirate's booty, and <laughs> I know it's not really popcorn. Right. So I was in the market, and I was like, you know what? I need like a snack that's going to get me over without a lot of calories. Right. And I'm looking at these popcorn uh, snacks, and I'm looking uh, at those, and I'm turning them over, and I'm looking at the back. Right, 160, 180 calories. It's scary per serving. It's right? scary. Fucked up. Right. So I'm like, on the way out of that aisle, and I see the rice cakes, which some of them are all right, but the, the you know, pirate's booty was right above the rice cakes. Yeah. So I go, let me see, and it was like a pack, one of those big packs that have all the little lunch packs in yeah. it. Right? Yeah. And I turn it around and I see 70 calories per serving. How many servings? Per pouch. A pouch. One serving is a pouch. Right. Okay. And I was like, and I turned around and I look, and I guess 12 pouches come inside this bag. Right. 70 calories. Let me tell you guys something, man. You won. I, the name of these are aged white cheddar. Yeah. They're like cheese puffs, but only 70 calories for a little bag. Ugh. It's wonderful, man. So that's what I'm having right now. It was like you. It was like you won. But I remember you and me talking, and you were like, "You win." Mm-hmm. And you were like, "Lucky partner." I ate like four bags of fucking pirate's booty, or something. You said to me like that. One yeah. Day, you know? Yeah. No. And listen, uh, the thing that's yeah. You know, when you were talking about that, it made me go back to rice cakes. Because like in the old days, that was like a diet food. Right, mm-hmm. you would always see these like aerobics women, right. like eating rice cakes with nothing mm-hmm. on it, and you would think like, "Oh man," or a couple of sliced cucumbers on it, or some bullshit, right, right? Right, and then you would think like, "So they must be low cal." Mm-hmm. But let me tell you something: for the amount of flavor you get out of a rice cake, it's actually got a lot of calories. Like I look back and I'm like, "Wait a second, ninety calories for like a regular rice cake, and it's gonna taste like a rice cake? Fuck that! Like fuck that! That don't even out. That's what I'm saying." 90 for three would make sense. That, see that, and I could get behind that. I mm-hmm. could put salt on it and mm-hmm. be like eating chips. Right. Not exactly, but close. to mm-hmm. be a crunch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't eat that many rice cakes because I'm like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm not going to waste calories on fucking puffed up air like that. Unless it, unless it's Pirate's Booty, which has got like aged white cheddar. Dude, and all. this thing is a straight cheese puff. Better than cheese puff. And the little bag, I mean, you can get behind 70 calories, right? Easily. For a snack, fantastic. And if you're really feeling generous, you'll have two of them. Right, you feel like you did something, and when and that would equal one regular snack. You're getting two for one. You know, I'm doing the math like you on this shit. Yeah, any way to get over. And I'll tell you something, man. Um, You know what? Take it back to uh, the music set that we were talking about. So my daughter, I have that play regular, all this different stuff. But one thing when I was running that occurred to me that I hadn't really thought about, right, Mm -hmm. was that. So, bringing a choir together and having people sing in a chord structure of different tones, mm-hmm. you know, that starts in medieval Europe. For Western music, they didn't have that for a long time. They had just one note, one syllable. So, everyone's saying the same thing. The harmonizing mm-hmm. doesn't start until like <laughs> later, right? But when it harmonizes, it still sounds kind of square and corny. You're like, okay, it's harmonizing, but it's for the church and it's these choral productions, which are kind of kind of stagey a little bit, not they don't there's no swing. But all the fucking doo-wop mm-hmm. from the East Coast, that harmonizing, uh-huh. that all comes from that. 
Gregorian chants from harmonizing, the whole concept of those chord structures, everyone who carried that into opera and then everyone who carried that out of opera into vaudeville, which mm -hmm, is where right. vaudeville comes out of opera, okay? Yes, yes. And, and, and you go and then vaudeville turns into the movies, then the movies splits up into radio and fucking TV, okay? All of that, plus the concept of mixing lyrics with music and then eventually decoupling lyrics from music and bringing them back and forth and theories on that, which Wagner, Richard Wagner, I don't know why I'm talking like that. Anyway, that guy developed it a little further. But my point being is that, so then when you get to, like who's the big East Coast 1950s, 40s doo-wop guys? Is it like, what, like, I don't know what the names... What was that fucking sh Sean? What was that? There was a um, like the Jersey anyway. Boys. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the whole thing that the Jersey Boys are doing, mm -hmm. right? That doo wop actually comes from this harmon mm -hmm. harmonizing that comes from church music, opera, madrigals, blah 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 blah. Gotcha. So as I'm running and listening to that, I realize, wait a minute. Now this might be old hat to you, but to me, it would fucking blew my mind. I go. And glee clubs, right? Like uh, that. You know, uh, one guy has a little, a little, little pitch, little whistle, and he's like, hmm. And then like, f like five square assholes <laughs> from the East Coast are like, good night, ladies, good. All like, that like shit. You're talking about like barber quartet. Yeah, barbershop quartets, yeah. and then and then the glee clubs at college with those yeah. assholes. Yeah. All right, all of that comes from that. But then I realized, wait a second, isn't that what the Beach Boys are? Aren't the Beach Boys basically yeah, West course. Coast doo-wop and fucking club? Absolutely. But why don't they sound like that, Steve? What makes them sound California? Sean, what makes... Why do the Beach Boys... The guitar. Right! Uh, I, they, yeah. I agree with Definitely that, but the, the guitar has a certain sound to it, too. It's not just any guitar. Mm -hmm. Sean, what else? What are the other elements that make... Why does the Beach Boys sound like surfer music when it's really doo-wop, barbershop, quartet bullshit? Don't they have that like that sort of Hawaiian yeah. like guitar effect? Like that kind of wobble? I don't know. I don't know much about like guitar... They do. They have a little bit of a twangy Hawaiian guitar, like ukulele-ish. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. It's just fascinating to me that... Somehow, California was able to adapt a very East Coast, very European centric form and turn it into like almost Hawaiian slash surfer slash sailing music. Well, I mean, listen, bro, you're going down a conversation where you're going to be able to backtrack every form of music to that. I want to. Well, the, and, and you are. Right. From, you know, how, how, the, how the gospel. And the blues yeah. break off, yeah. and how blues is basically rock and roll. Right, comes from the you know, like right. Interesting, different ways. I, what I will say is, I wanted to say this, and that's that going back towards the chamber music. Okay, go ahead. What do they call? What were the tenors, the boys with the high voices? No, no, get, no. And the, this should be a show we should do. Okay, go on. What are they? They are called the castrati. Okay, but what's the what is it? What is it? They're 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 singing at a soprano, male soprano, male okay. soprano male level. Sopranos. By the way, I have an, an example of a male soprano, and it's real fucking weird. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that right now. All right, thank but you. here's what I wanted to say was that another music that's captivated and intrigues me is I remember when I was a young kid, I saw a special, and I don't know if it was the Boston 
Church or Boston Orchestra or Boston Choir? Boston Pops? No, no, it was the it was the church. Okay. And all they call those the choir boys. Yes. It was a special. Ooh. And this and it was in the 60s or early 70s and oh, but but the music. It's just beautiful. Oh, dude, I'm telling you. Some of that some of those choirs are simply with all the young boys singing? Yeah. It just sounds amazing, bro. Some of it is really, really moving. And I've stuck in my head. And when I hear really, really, really outstanding choirs from around the United States, yeah, it's just, some of it's heart-wrenching. It's, it's really beautiful music, man. So it's an interesting point you bring up because the Castrati, right? This was, now I'm thinking that's what Michael Jackson's appeal is. That's what Smokey Robinson's appeal is, is that those guys were male sopranos. Absolutely, they were sopranos. They call them sopranos all the time. Right, because that's such a rarity for a man mm-hmm. to be in that thing. Usually yeah. it's a tenor. Can't hit those those notes like that. Usually. Dude, we could do a whole show, by the way, from the stuff that I've learned. Marvin Gaye would be able to hit notes like that, too. We could do a whole show. Uh, uh, who was that guy? Uh, the harder they come, the... the oh, hard. Jimmy Cliff. He was one of those guys. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. But the point is, is that the castrati at the time, which would have been like middle ages in Europe and in Italy, they would castrate the boys. Right. Okay. The parents would. Hmm. Because if you got a, if you had a male soprano at that time, hmm. that was your money? golden ticket. That's crazy. It's true. But that's crazy. It's true. But Chop the, his nuts off. We're going to get money for my boy. <laughs> back then they had, I mean, kids, half of your kids died anyway. You, there was so much death and pestilence in Europe at that time that What's it's pestilence? really pestilence, like like vermin and disease, okay. pestilence, mm. which is where I think pest comes from. You go outside to smell some roses and come back with a fucking disease that'll kill you a week later. Easily. Wow. Easily. The, you, the mother deliver four kids and then die on the fifth one. Right. I was just uh, listening to the thing about, you know, that time period, oh, like medieval time period, and they were saying that if you had... Uh, about six children, you would be lucky if one of them survived. Right. Wow. That That's, that's true. crazy. Yeah. And Mozart, in fact, had multiple kids and only two survived. Have some fucking chafing going on between your legs, and next thing you know, they're chopping your leg off, right? Oh, that dude. Oh, dude. Gang green. They had all kind of shit. They didn't need You know what, man? We're going to have to do a show. Yes. Because there's something that I know I'm going to sound ignorant. Go ahead. But there's very clear time. There's there's time categories of uh, Europe and I think the world. And I hear them, and I hear people refer to them, and I'm familiar with some. And I always it it intrigues me because I don't know them properly. Right. There's the Ice Ages, of course we know. Okay. But then there was the Renaissance time, <laughs> and there was the time of. What is it? Enlightenment time or the yeah seventeen hundreds? Okay, then that's Mozart. Okay, name name some other ones. Okay, so there's there. I mean, so what you just said, by the way, is hilarious because you're like, well, there was the Ice Ages, which we're talking ten thousand years. Right. Yeah. And and then and then you're like, then there's the Renaissance, which is like I know fifteen hundreds. But but they refer to them as like these points in time. Epics, dark ages, epoch, the dark ages. There's the dark ages, medieval ages, middle ages, the Renaissance, the Reformation, the fucking uh, Enlightenment. Yeah, right. The Atomic Age. Right, right. What? what, uh, They 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 trip me out. 
Because I, I don't know them under, understand understand how, how they lay out in time exactly. Okay, so we'll let's do a time show yeah. where we for all the listeners and everybody. Let's just lay it out. We won't get too in deep on each one. Was there an Enlightenment ages? Yeah, there's an Enlightenment age. That's that's where America was born. Was in the Enlightenment. Okay, the Enlightenment flows sort of like post Renaissance. Renaissance means rebirth. Okay. What happens in the Renaissance is that um, Europe, after the Dark Ages and all the plagues, mm -hmm. finally gets a breather, right? Like all of a sudden- Is was, Rome part of the Dark Ages? Yeah, the, it all is. Okay. It all is. That's when you, in the Dark Ages, even though, <sighs> because now we got to get into all this shit, but, but, but sh quickly, the Dark Ages are called the Dark Ages because everything that Rome gained in knowledge at the height of its, of its power- was lost, or they say it was lost, because the barbarian hordes from the Visigoths and the Ostrogoths, mm -hmm. which are old Germanic fuckers, they came in and, and, and um, sacked Rome and took over. By the way, there's just too many ways to go. Wait, isn't there the Roman ages? Yeah, but the Ro yeah, there are. There are. Okay. The, but the Roman ages tend to be broken up by... Um, Republic versus the emperors and you can count the Roman eras via the the emperors and usually they collect them So they go like okay. there's the era of the good emperors, which is like the one through seven When Marcus Aurelius is the last of the great em good right, emperors, right, 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 then you right. get all these like weird fuck faces for a while and then you get um, Emperors that aren't even Roman anymore. They're originally blah 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 Dude, I don't know. We, we there's a million things we could do with that. But my point is is that yeah, let's do it. Let's just do like a thumbnail sketch outline for everybody. Mm -hmm. And and because I have outlines. I actually have outlines that, that I have already that's laid it all out from the Ice Age until now. In fact, you know, we could have an awesome discussion about what is the Ice Age? How did it come about? What was its impact? How did it change the world and what was really going on? Because... In actuality, people get, and this is the reason why I'm bringing all the music stuff up and, the, and, the, and why I want my daughter to have more of a, like you were saying, like understanding how all the music mm. is actually one continuous river mm. and that what we think of as distinct broken eras or pieces are actually all part of one larger unit. Absolutely. Okay. So, so that's... That's my goal is to impart that because that's where your inability to be tricked comes from. Your inability, the inability, the protection, the greatest protection from being fooled by a con. Is knowing your history. It, yeah, but not in that sense. Not Because like, that's a common refrain. But not your history, but the history. Yeah, and knowing all, and knowing the larger unity. So that way, when the con comes, like, let's just say COVID-19, however you feel about that, mm -hmm. okay? Let's just say however you feel about that. When the con comes, it's a lot easier to understand what's real and what's not when you see the overall larger pattern of history. Which is similarity. Exactly. Pattern recognition. I probably shouldn't even tell people this because I don't want anyone to get an edge on me on anything, but I'm going to do it because I love our listeners. We've got the best listeners in the world. Right. Pattern recognition is the most powerful tool in the world. Where did you have to go to learn that? 
Where did I have to go? I didn't have to go any. I had to actually, I was already graduated before I really understood that. Okay, okay, go on. And when I say pattern recognition, I don't even just mean drafting an algorithm that can recognize certain patterns. I'm talking about, so when you hear philosophers, and usually you get into the later philosophers that talk about form, Mm -hmm. so there's always something that's called form and content. Mm -hmm. Form and content. Mm -hmm. So an example for cars, right? Cars have a form. These forms are almost non-changeable. Very little variation in the sense of how they work. So you can take a low rider, mm-hmm. but a low rider is going to have four wheels. Right. And you're going to have an SUV. An SUV is going to have four wheels. Now you can go to fucking Turkmenistan, and that fucking Turkmenistan car is going to have four wheels. That's and a, a steering f- column. And they're all going to have steering column. That's the form. Okay. That's the form. The content... Is all the style shit, right? That's content. So when you think about the internet and people are talking about content, Mm -hmm. they're talking about style shit. They're talking about style shit. The stories, the style, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, podcasts, right? Podcasts have a form. It's mostly listening, sometimes watching. It's through the internet. It's recorded. The content is, oh, look, it's this, you know, bald prick Joe Rogan or it's fucking, Mm -hmm, you know, hanky doodle, whatever. So form is pattern recognition. So when you start to see the patterns, you're actually seeing the form because now you're seeing that despite the content, it's coming in in recognizable structures. That's what a pattern is. Oh, you know, it's always on Monday, it's three. On Tuesday, it's two. On Monday, it's three. On Tuesday, it's two. You see that enough and you realize, fuck, every Monday, it's going to be three. Mm -hmm. Now you've got real mastery of observation of what's actually happening mm-hmm. that's form is pattern recognition i had to get that from subsequent reading and getting pounded in the head with a hammer m- multiple times people think this shit comes easy to me it doesn't i work on it if i can run in three hours listening to opera let me i mean come on mm-hmm. so 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 that's what if you study history not like history in the school book sense but history in the pattern recognition sense when you see the larger unity, the larger structure, the larger pattern of the whole thing, then it's easier for you to avoid cons. Cons only work on people who are too ignorant to understand that this is a con. And when you don't understand that something, like if you don't see a larger structure, I think this is what's happening in the United States right now. Mm. When you can't see the overall pattern clearly, then you can't tell the con from the real thing yet. And then the safest space to act out of in that scenario would be to assume everything's a con. Mm. Right? Mm. Because if it's real, all right, no harm, no foul. But if it's a con, at least I'm acting like it's a con and I'm protecting myself. (sighs) Then, then... Is there people that can innately understand patterns or did they somehow were able to mm. pay attention to it and know kind of what's coming? I really don't know the answer to that, but I will say this. It does seem like there are certain individuals who can re- who started recognizing patterns earlier in their life. I, I, I'm, I'm asking because I feel like I have had a conversation like this about people that understand trend. Right. And I don't know that they understand because they studied it or they just innately started taking 
no subconscious notes and realizing and it's like i get some people can just see it coming right so something you even have to slow yourself down a little bit because you might be a little bit too ahead right but you see it coming you you're not surprised you know where this ball is going right and i feel like for some reason, I was paying attention to some certain things that I have to do with that little slice of life. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. But I. Uh, but yes. it all has to do with what you're saying. Right. You you pay attention. You're taking no- notes. Right. And then they're realigning up again. And then they're realigning up again. And then some in your head, you're like, okay, now I know how the pace is. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 in terms of whether or not it's innate, there's an element that seems to be. Which would be like, well, why do some people read earlier than others? Da, 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 da. So potentially, I would say yes. But more and more that I've read about geniuses, more and more that I am convinced that a, a huge amount of it is study and exposure. I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. When you think of Wolfgang Mozart, Mm-hmm. When you think about Wolfgang Mozart, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, well, clearly he's a genius because he's like composing at five and six. And so on some level, it's true. And on some level, it's true that he had some kind of capacity. But nobody can quantify what it was. The other part that nobody really thinks about, most people don't know even at the, at the common level, is that his father was also a musical advanced person. He was making his money as somebody who wrote books on how to play the violin and he was a court composer and he he already knew music so mozart's born into music by the time he's five he's already been exposed to a level of music that most people it would be by the time they're 15 meaning when mozart's you know family friends came around and hung out what did they do they fucking played the violin together and played chamber music and all this shit Mm -hmm. and he's around that even at an age before he's even got language. He's seeing it, he's hearing it, and he's doing all the shit. So what I'm saying is, is like, boy, it's pretty hard to detangle. Like, what part of this is just biologic genius in Mozart, and what part of this is, but he was also raised in a highly advanced, saturated culture of music. Gotcha. So that he's got the experience by the time he's five of somebody who's 20 at his age. Okay, so then let me take you to something else you just said. Go ahead. You were talking about pattern recognition. Yeah. And then you were talking about something that maybe shows up and there is no pattern to it. And it looks like a con. Right. They can't tell the difference between. Right. Because if it's a con, then it would be something that there's no pattern to. No. No. No? No. If it's a con, it's something that... Okay, so maybe yes, what you're saying is right. If it's because if it's a con, then it's not going to fit the normal. It's too good to be true. Okay, right. So you're right. Exactly. Okay. okay. Now, go ahead. Keeping a frame of what you're saying, saying right now, because you just <laughs> tapped on something it. that is I have a real problem with. Everybody, right now, uh, Steve. Steve, uh, he's going down for the kill. I can see him hunching down in the in the tall grass, getting ready to nail a buffalo. Right, okay, hit me with it. What is the it? United States government <laughs> is giving motherfuckers twelve hundred dollars and ahead. an extra eight hundred dollars a week and a thousand dollars a week to everybody for yeah. unemployment. Yeah, more than people are making more than they've ever made. Okay. They don't even make that. They make that. 
They're handing all this out. And I'm hearing about people that have never made more than $300 a week now making $1,000 a week. All right. And I say something about that don't seem right. Okay, stop. Stop right there. Stop right there. Stop right there. Stop right there. This is where there may be something to what you're saying. But the question is, right? So, this is good. This is good. This is like some fucking Sherlock Holmes shit, right? Methodology, my good man. Mm. It's got to come down to methodology when we start to think analytically. Mm. So, first you're saying something's not fitting a pattern. Absolutely. Okay. That's when your spider sense goes up. Absolutely. I got it. But the thing about the spider sense is, and, and saying something's off we haven't located yet what's off. That's the part you got to be careful. That's the part where you can fuck yourself up. Hmm. Because, yes, something's off. Something's not making sense. Something's not quite right. Hmm. At that point, we must not jump to conclusions yet. Hmm. Because we don't know what it is. Because I'm going to tell you, it could be, right, just based on what we've talked about here, right? Hmm. It could be that some of the reports, like I'm making more money than I ever made, and no, 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 could just be the same. It could just that could be bullshit. The re- the, like if you scratch the surface and look at what people are really getting in terms of checks, right? Because I got friends who've gotten some some checks too, mm-hmm. and it ain't it ain't like they're rich. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's one. So you scratch the surface and you go like, okay, so what are the reports I'm getting, and who are the sources? Without any judgment. Mm-hmm. Just like, okay, what is it? Da, da, da. Is it accurate? So these reports, is it accurate? Or because of my background, am I prone to give more credence to certain reports over other reports because I'm already in that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So confirmation bias is what mm-hmm. that's called. So you got to be careful on that. Everybody has to be careful on that. That's what caused the U.S. and Bush to uh, say that there was uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq when okay. there really wasn't. Okay. Okay? Confirmation by... They wanted to believe that shit. The first rule in spying and covert intelligence from real analysts, not like, you know, shitheads, but like the guys at the top that really are involved in something, is do not tell your spies what you want to know beforehand. Mm-hmm. If you do, they will see anything and everything that lines up with that. Mm-hmm. You can't tell them, we're looking for X. We think it's there. Find me evidence. Because guess what? Every spy taking a paycheck, every analyst taking a paycheck, and you're the boss, they're going to find it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's there or not, and they're going to get more. Cr- so I'm saying. So you got to be careful First, when you go, something's off. What's off? Okay. What are the reports all the way to uh, what's the evidence that I've actually seen? And then when you do the pattern recognition thing, right? So when we say that it doesn't fit a pattern, great. There's multiple patterns. You also have to check your own facility for what patterns am I not? Am I not up on? Like I'm well versed in this area. Sure. And then there's other areas that I don't know the patterns yet. So, okay. So going forward, you were saying something's not right. 
And then and then you said and then you were going to go somewhere else. So that so that's my point to everybody, to myself included. It, it just very much each time I'm hearing about people getting a thousand dollars a week or an extra eight hundred or whatever it is a week. Who? Okay, so without giving me a name. Submiss- I know three people that are getting that type of money, and they weren't even making that employed. Right. They filed for unemployment. Right. So they got the stimulus. Yeah. Plus what they're getting for unemployment. Okay. Averaging out to around four thousand dollars a month. Okay, great. And they weren't even making that when they're out there. No. Right. Okay. So to you, that sounds like something's off because why? It seems like they're giving up a little bit too much to too many people. So you're saying like, well, wait a second. They wouldn't give up that much to too many people. Now, when you say they, who are you referring to? The United States government. Oh, okay. So unemployment is covered by whom? The federal? No. Uh, By the employers? State. Okay. California. Okay. So one thing you got to filter in is like, okay, so the government's given a stimulus check. Now- I don't believe they're giving it on a weekly basis. I know I didn't get mine on a weekly basis. And I don't think they're getting monthly. I didn't get mine on monthly. There's two things going on. Mm. One is there's a stimulus check going out to some people. Mm -hmm. By the way, not all people. I've got buddies who aren't getting a stimulus check based on how much they earn. Okay. I run all my shit through the law firm, so technically I don't earn X, Y, and Z. Therefore, I can apply. Not to mention that we've gotten stimulus checks before that when we weren't in this time, I mean, George Bush gave out a stimulus check. Um, I mean, we've gotten stimulus. Che- I've gotten a stimulus check from the government a long time ago. So, hold okay. on. so, so I'm not saying you're wrong in a sense, but I'm saying to add to it is you have two governing systems working. You got the fed who's given the stimulus check and then you got the state who's given unemployment. Okay. Then you got to also remember that unemployment is, so they can overlap. So it's not one, it's not one source. And the, the employment, unemployment in, in California is not going to be the same unemployment in Iowa. Okay. Then you also have to factor in like, okay, well, wait a second. This shit just happened. Mm-hmm. Right? So it would make sense that two systems that are, are working might overlap in a, in a fast-paced emergency situation. Now, if it went over a full year... Stimulus checks plus unemployment for a full year, then it would even go further into your category. It's like, well, wait a minute, that's too much money to too many people. I already feel like it is, and and here's the thing. Go ahead. From what I'm hearing, right? Okay, right. Hearing. Right. I'm not hearing guys that were making four hundred and they had to fill out some paperwork in order to get the four hundred a week or even five hundred a week. I'm hearing a. I'm hearing people that have were making three or four hundred a week getting a thousand a week now. People that were making seven hundred a week getting a thousand a week. Like they're overshooting everybody at like this number. Whether you were making nine hundred a week or you were making three hundred a week, we're giving you the thousand a week. And that just seems like a a rough, like generous throw out. We'll just give everybody a thousand a week. That's what I'm hearing. All right. But so, okay. So I don't know about that is what I'm saying. Because I know guys, I absolutely, on. I know two people who got zero. Mm-hmm. They got zero. 
Unemployment. Yeah, I'm not talking about stimulus. Unemployment right now. Uh, no, I'm not talking about unemployment. I'm talking about stimulus, and I'm also talking about small business loan. Okay, but I'm talking about unemployment. Right, but what I'm saying to you is, is that, by the way, unemployment's only going to pay people who were employed, and in being employed, you the, your your boss paid into the system as well as you. Everyone paid into this already. That's the other thing you got to remember. Unemployment's not necessary. It's not like free money. When you get your check and there's all this fucking shit taken, uninsurance, uh, sure. unemployment You're insurance. You're paying up unemployment. UI? Really get yeah, it. everybody's paying it. Right. And then the government or whoever's holding it, they're, they're also, you know, investing it and doing shit with it. So you got this big pile of cash. Now, are they overshooting the mark? I don't know. And I don't know actually how those things are, 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 are how do I say it? I don't know how they're filled out. I don't know how you establish, because I know a lot of my friends- they I like it on. when it's based on a check. They they go on like they're like I've had friends who've tried to like put their highest paycheck when it fluctuates mm-hmm. as the standard, and as a result, the government thinks that they make a certain amount that they didn't really make. Mm. I know that for a fact. Sean, have you ever heard of that? No. Yeah, I got somebody who made money as a a waiter or something like that or a salesperson and they always yeah sales commissions they always put like their best months included and then if if the government cracks down on it then they're like oh i didn't know i I, was it the last three months or whatever i don't know so that's what i'm saying it doesn't make sense i don't i don't think they're handing out free money in that way at all to be honest with you um Sean, have you ever filed for unemployment? Yeah, I'm on unemployment right now. Oh. And so what did they, uh, is it, are they, did they overshoot the mark with you? No, because I lost my job before coronavirus. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so I'm not on that, like, you know, stimulus, stimulus. Yeah, but do, are they paying more on unemployment? Because you are now. Are they paying more for unemployment just because of coronavirus? I don't know that. No. Uh, I mean, they're not paying me more. Right. Yeah, uh, I don't know. But there's all I'm, kinds I'm of... I'm getting to the tail end, so I don't know what's going to happen. Right. I think that there's just... I think people just fill out shit with shenanigans. First, I think people are overstating it, and then I think people also fill out shenanigans. Like, if you've filed unemployment multiple times, you kind of know what kind of things to put down in order to maximize what they're going to pay you out. That's what I think. But well, it's based on your it's based on your what you made right at your last job right so you can't you can't tell them that you made you know a hundred thousand hundred fifty thousand dollars no you can't they would know what you made but if you but i think i think that there are sales times where like your last checks you can talk to your employer to make your last checks bigger when you know it's going to happen and then the people have done that and then those last checks set up for the for the unemployment like oh okay. well if you i mean if you got it like that with your last employer you could probably run some sort of and i'm saying scam, but yeah I, in fact i think some i've even known operations where uh, they claim to be i don't know what it is but they fuck with the numbers a little bit so that if when you go on unemployment especially if you're hired by yourself then there's some people who 
have a corporation that they own and then they hire themselves at a salary and then that salary is used for the unemployment right but i mean you got to think about it like how long have you had the job if you had a job like three years you're constantly paying for unemployment anyway hi how are you all right why don't you all right um sean i'm gonna stop the show here we're gonna revamp refresh get acquainted and start a show with um with uh miss uh sterling all right so what, do we, what do we normally say about this time uh adios amigos heat direct from the street we love you all talk to you soon <laughs>